my name's John, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and so if you're online for the first time, welcome. It's nice to have you here. If you're in the building for the first time, I'm glad I can um, share this next hour with you. I'm going to start and tell you a little bit about my school career. I loved school. I loved school. And up until grade seven, I crushed maths. I mean, I crushed it. I won the maths prize in grade seven. It was a year that I actually got on a provincial soccer team. It was one of those years I couldn't find the photograph of the skinny little guy sitting with all of his trophies at the end of grade seven. Um, I, I don't know where that picture is. It's there, it's real. But then something happened specifically in the area of maths. And I finally passed maths at the end of matric, higher grade nochal, with the intervention of Mr. Sneiman and several visits to his storeroom at the back for conversations about how badly my maths was going. I just managed to pass. Just. Now, of course, I could explain how there was a mix-up at the beginning of grade eight and I got into the wrong class and I, I missed a whole lot of stuff. And then when I did get into the new class, the teacher, who was actually a nuclear physicist, wasn't really good at teaching maths. I could get into all of that. And I could make myself look good despite the fact that every school report in high school says John does well, but John could do better. I see some of you identify with me. The point is this. When it came to my stellar maths career that suddenly crashed, even though I loved school, something happened. And it was this. I think I missed out on some of the basics. I missed out on something really fundamental there at the beginning of grade eight. Whether I was just lazy or whether it was their fault, it really doesn't matter at this point. I missed it. And because I missed those basics, I could never get back to where they said my potential lay. It never happened. To this day, I'm not going to try now. However, the point is this. There's a very real danger of missing the basics. There's a very real danger to all of us of missing the basics, not just in maths, but in pretty much everything in life. The, 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 the further back the thing goes that you missed out, the more misdirected you will be as you go along in your life. That's not just true of maths or school or all those kinds of things. It's also true in our spiritual journey. It's also true that unless we, from time to time, remind ourselves about the very basics of where we are in our spiritual journey or where we should be in our spiritual journey or where God wants to take us, we need to remind ourselves from time to time, what are the basics? And so for the next few weeks, we want to focus on one particular basics, basic. And it's a word that we use a lot in church. It's the word saved. The word saved. You will hear it if you hang around in a church environment quite a lot. 
You'll hear it talked about. You'll hear it saved or salvation. It's, it's phrased in other ways, giving your life to Christ, um, being rescued, coming to know Jesus, being born again. But it always points back to one really important thing, something called salvation. And it's so important because it's the beginning of our spiritual lives. It is, it is the most significant turning point in any Christian's life. And so it's, it's worth getting the basics right. The theological term for the theology of salvation is soteriology. This is just a fun word you can use if you want to. Uh, soteriology. And, and, and folks, there's a lot here. I mean, there's a lot. And, and I wish we could cover it all, we can't. But there are some essential things you have to cover when you're talking about becoming a follower of Jesus, when you talk about being saved. And it's these three things. What are we saved from? What is it that we are saved from? You know, it's easy when you're drowning. <laughs> you know what you're being saved from. You're being saved from the water. You're being saved from death. You're being saved from that drowning. And often, when the danger is obvious, we know what we're being saved from. But sometimes the danger is not obvious. Sometimes we walk through the world with, with blinkers on, and we may miss something really fundamental. You know, you've all seen that video, that picture of, of, of somebody being tackled, you know, and, and, and saved, and they, and they turn around, and they go, well, what just happened? And the person says, well, I saved you. And, you know, they've got road rash all over them, and they say, well, the next question is this, what did you save me from? Because they missed it. And so it's really important to know what we are saved from. It's also really important if we're going to do the basics of salvation, is to know how we are saved. What happens? What, what, how do I get saved? And, and what's going on behind the scenes that I should be saved? And then finally, the question is, what am I being saved for? You see, salvation, whether it's in a spiritual sense that we're talking about now or in the human sense, there's a reason we get saved. Have you ever wondered how we as humans, how much money we spend on saving people's lives. I mean, you, you just, you, you look, somebody goes missing, or somebody's in an accident, or we have the floods, and what do we do? We just pour resources into saving people. We don't sit and do the maths and go, well, no, it's too much now, we're gonna stop. We only stop when we think we can no longer save the person. And so that, that idea is why, what are we being saved for? So over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack that. Because you see, salvation isn't just an event. Being saved isn't just an event. You don't see those um, Bondi Beach rescue videos where the, where the guys go out, save somebody who's drowning, drag them onto the beach, and then just leave them there. They don't just leave them lying on the beach after they've stopped them from drowning. There's a journey that they take with those people. I can remember 
Dr. Rex Matthew, who's the guy who taught me systematic theology at, at uh, Theological College, saying this about salvation. He said, remember, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. He was telling us that this isn't simply a one-off event that, that just happens in our lives, and then we just carry on as normal. He was, he was teaching us that this salvation, this gift that God gives to us when he saves us, is something that will profoundly affect our whole lives. Always will and always must. And so salvation isn't just an event. It's a process that we go through our entire lives. So this morning, I want to focus on that first question. That first question, what are we being saved from? So I had an interesting week this week as I was getting ready for the sermon, I would ask people that question. I would say to somebody, when I talk about being saved in the Christian context of that word, what are we being saved from? And I got lots of answers. Some people said we're being saved from the wrath of God. Other people said we're being saved from sin. Other people said we're being saved from ourselves. Other people said we're being saved from the world around us. There were lots and lots of, of answers to that question. And the truth is none of them were wrong. But it felt to me like none of them were complete. That, that each of them look at one small aspect of what salvation is about. And so I really grappled with, with trying to find one word. And I'm going to go with one word, but we're going to have to unpack it a little bit. And, and there is more. There is more. There is always more. But, but let's get the basics right. Another nice thing about being a pastor and for this particular series is there's no lack of material. The Bible is full. The Gospels are full of people asking Jesus how can they be saved. The, the, the Old Testament is full of God's salvation. The letters in the New Testament are full of explanations of what salvation looks like. And so the, the material is not hard to find. And I want to encourage you not to just go away with what I say to you. There are other places where you can look this up in Scripture. But I want to launch from the book of Romans. The book of Romans has a lot of explanation in it about what salvation looks like. And the reason for that is that, that those early Christians were still coming to grips with what it meant as a follower of Jesus to be saved. They all came out of different religious backgrounds, and some of them had a Greek background, some of them had a Roman background, some of them had an animist background, others of them had, had Jewish backgrounds, and, and they were being told, what does salvation look like now that Jesus is part of that equation? And so in Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, because of the weakness of human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. So he's telling them, guys, salvation is a beautiful and complex and huge thing. But I'm going to use this illustration of slavery with you right now because you understand it. 
because everybody who was listening had either owned slaves or they were a slave. And so they understood the picture. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness, living so that you will become holy. Do you you see the process he's talking about there? He's talking about becoming, not just instantly being. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to be, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. As I read that passage and grappled with other passages about what are the basics of salvation, came to the conclusion that the essential thing that we as followers of Jesus are being saved from is death. Why did Jesus come into the world to save people from death? There are all kinds of deaths. There are all kinds of things that are happening in the physical world. Sorry to say this to you, but you are in the process of dying physically. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Death is at work in you, just so that you know that. Um, I'm sorry if that comes as a shock, but it's true. We're all in that process. (laughs) I'm not sure, amen, but yes, true story, it is. And so, so this idea of death is something we want to turn away from. We instinctively, I don't want to go there. You see, and the truth is, God doesn't want us to go there either. God wants to save us from death. All kinds of death. And so let's just look at some of the passages in this passage and other places in the book of Romans, we, we, we understand the kinds of death that God is saving us from when he offers us the gift of eternal life, when he offers us forgiveness of sin, when he offers us salvation, and when he offers us life eternal. And the first death that God is saving us from is the slow death of separation. The slow death of separation. Word of God teaches us that when we are created, we are created to be in a deep, intimate relationship with God. That's the purpose of our creation. We are created to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. We are born into a world with the purpose of being together with each other and with God. But sin has come into the world and has separated us from God. And not just from God, but from each other. And and the problem is that this is a slow death. It doesn't happen suddenly. Colleen, who is my wife and who's a pediatric nurse, 
tells me that if a child is born prematurely and is put in an incubator, they cannot just medically intervene with that child. They, they can't only give the child all the medical support it needs. That they have to have times when the nurses and, and the doctors and perhaps the parents, if they're able, come and put their arms into that incubator and hold that baby. And, and, and love that baby and, and stroke it. It has to have human contact. And even if they do all the physical things right, even if they fix all the medical issues with that baby, if they just leave it without human love and human contact, that child will die. Why? Because we are made to be one with each other and with God. Romans 5 verse 10 says this to us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see that word reconciliation? You see how important it is? That God is, is pursuing, connecting with us even when we were still his enemies. He's it's so important to him that we don't be separate, that we're not separated from him, that he starts even when we're running away from him, even when we're resisting him, because he wants to save us from that slow death of separation. The fact that we can be living in this world and financially and medically and in all other ways we can be fine we can be fixed. We can even be getting better. But if we're separated from God and other human beings, we will experience death. The sad thing is that it's slow. And sometimes when things are slow, you don't see them happening. It was weird coming back after two years of COVID and seeing some people some of the kids, all of a sudden, like, what happened? Their parents didn't notice it, but we did, because we were away. The slow death of separation from God is one of the things that God is saving us from. We have to recognize that we must look at it. Don't turn away from it. We want to turn away from death, don't we? But let's look at it and realize that that can happen to us. The second death that Jesus is saving us from is the slow death of sin. The slow death that comes because of sin. Romans 6 verse 19. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. I don't know many people who wake up one morning and go, I'm going to do something so incredibly stupid this morning. I'm going to do something so incredibly sinful this morning. I'm going to do, do a huge, big sin this morning, and I'm going to ruin my life. I, I don't know, I personally don't know anybody who's ever done that. But I do know people who have slowly allowed things to get worse and worse and worse, until one day they discover that their relationships are gone. 
that their finances are gone, that they have lost everything. Sin does that to us. That passage points out to us that we are slaves to sin. And sin, as the Bible tells us very clearly, leads to death. And so Jesus comes to save us from that slow death of sin as it eats away, not just as it breaks our relationship with God, but actually as it eats away at the very fabric of our lives and makes our lives, not just as individuals, but as a group, harder and more difficult and more stressful and more broken. The slow death that sin brings into the world. But there's a third slow death that Jesus is saving us from, and it's the slow death of pointlessness. I wish I had money for every time somebody comes to me and says, John, help me. I just feel like I don't really make a difference in this world. I just feel like I don't make a difference in this world. And the truth is, it's not just people who aren't followers of Jesus that say that to me. It's people often that are followers of Jesus that are saying that to me. For many people, living right now in this world is is just waiting to die so that that the actual life can begin. And, And the Bible is so clear that that's not the point. That eternal life with God isn't something that happens after we die. It's something that gets given to us right at the beginning. And that when we come to Jesus, he gives us the power to live lives that matter. Romans 5 verse 6 says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... That passage goes on to say that Jesus came into the world when we were still powerless to save ourselves. That while we were still powerless, God did something. But it's not just our powerlessness to save ourselves that matters. It's also our powerlessness to make our lives meaningful. I mean, it's not hard to see that the things that tell us we are going to have meaning in life often don't produce that. I I probably will never be a billionaire, just saying. You know, I'm working on my second million right now. The first one was a complete failure. But I'm never going to be a billionaire, but I, I do not understand why somebody who has billions for some reason feels like they need to have more billions. I just, I just don't understand that. I don't understand why somebody who's world famous somehow feels they're not famous enough. How somebody who's the best at something feels that they need to carry on trying. Well, you know what, I say I don't understand it, but sometimes I do. Because sometimes I'm looking forward to getting something. You know that package that you can't wait to be delivered? It's kind of nice being a bit older, you know? You remember when packages were like super special? They didn't arrive every day. You know, before all those, like you got a, maybe a package in the post twice a year, you actually had to go to the post office to fetch it. Do you remember those? And then you waited for this thing and then you got it. And then it was like, oh, that's nice. 
And then later on, you, f you gave it to hidden treasure because you don't care about it anymore. You see, we're like that. And God knows that. And God knows we are powerless to give our own lives meaning. That we are powerless to, to do something that will make us significant and, and love ourselves and think of ourselves the way God thinks of us. As worth dying for. And so Jesus saves us from the slow death of a pointless life and then we die. But there's not just slow death that salvation is about. Salvation is also about the sudden death of mortality. Truth is, one day you will die. One day, your body's going to be done. Now, theologians get into a quite a deep argument about whether Adam and Eve were meant to live eternally in the bodies that God created for them. I'm not going to get in that, that debate. It's technical, and it's not going to make really any difference to us here today because we are all going to die. Unless Jesus comes back and we go to heaven before, the, before we die, but we are all going to die. So whether God created Adam and Eve to be immortal in those bodies is not the point. The point is this. Romans 5:12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. You and I have mortal bodies. And God wants to save us from that. God knows and God created us to one day live eternally. And that's one of the, the things he creates us for. You see, because we weren't meant just to be with God in the 70 or 80 or in Bill Lofthouse's 98 years that God gives us on this earth. We're meant to be with God forever. And so salvation is given to us so that we can escape the sudden death of mortality. But there's a final reason that we are saved from death. And that is the fact that there is an eternal death. You see, there is, there's mortal death, there's human death, there's death of our bodies, but there's another kind of death that the Bible speaks about, and it's eternal death. Now, when the Bible speaks about this, it uses lots of figures of speech. It uses lots of, of images. And some of those images are quite scary. Some of those images are of, of lakes of burning fire and gnashing of teeth and worms that eat. Some of those pictures Jesus uses are about a place called Gehenna, which is basically the landfill that was outside Jerusalem. It really was. And, and it was always on fire. There were always burning rubbish there. And Jesus was saying part of the gift of salvation is to save you from this eternal death. Because the worst thing that can happen to any human being is this, to be eternally separated from God. Because that's what you were created for. 
our statement of, of belief, rather than going to one passage because there's so many, I want to remind you what the statement of belief of our church says about this. It says, we believe that all people, both those alive and those who have died, will appear before Jesus for judgment based on their faith in him. Those who have trusted and have followed him will live with him forever. Those who have rejected him will be separated from God forever. The Bible says that separation from God forever, there's a phrase that says, is the eternal death. You see, we haven't just been saved so that we can have a nice life. In fact, we haven't just been saved so that we will sin less or become pure. We haven't just been saved so that we can live eternally. We have been saved so that we can live in a deep, intimate, eternal relationship with the God of the universe and with everybody else who follows Jesus because that's what we were created for. We have been saved from death. I I hope that's made you a little bit excited. I hope that you understand this amazing gift that God has given us, the choice between death and life, the choice between purpose and nothing, the choice between loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength and our neighbor as much as ourselves and eternal separation from God. Now later on, we're gonna talk about the how of salvation. Later on, we're gonna have a sermon here about that. But I'm going to give you a little glimpse into how it can happen. I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag just a little bit. If this is something you don't have and want, I want to tell you this, just ask. Just ask. You see, that's what God says, that if we want to be saved, we don't have to wave our arms and scream, we just have to say, oh God, please save me. 